Hey, honeys and hunks, hardcore honeys, back at you like the return of the season. We got Jade Auxiliary Things Johnson grinning from ear to ear from basketball coming back. And then we have fellow Billy Up content maker Parker Ainsworth with us today. And then me, moderator TJ, just trying to coach this thing like a park and rec coach for everyone. So, uh, Parker, how's it going today? It's going well, man. Uh, I'm in Dallas, and so it's nice and hot outside, but the Rockets beat the Mavs, so it's a good day in Dallas for me. How you guys doing? I mean, I'm fine right now. Basketball is back. Multiple games a day. I'm set. What about you, Jade? The Raptors have their first game back today, so I am pumped. Who are they playing? The Lakers. Lakers. Ooh. Yeah. So That's a tough one. First one out. Definitely. <laughs> I got Parker, are you then, are you Dallas or Houston fan? Born in Houston, or born in Beaumont, Houston area, lived there for a while. We, I grew up in Austin, and I currently live in Dallas. So I've done the gamut of Texas, but I currently live in Dallas, and I'm a Houston guy. So it's been, it's tough. That's, that's <laughs> an awkward one right there. <laughs> okay, okay. So I was going to say, yeah, another Mavs person, because they're my top three favorite teams. So I was like, that's yeah, awesome. but never mind. <laughs> they are a lot of fun. Like, I, I really like, I like Luka Doncic a lot. They're a lot of fun. But I get a lot of crap when they beat Houston. So anytime Houston beats Dallas, it really it makes a much easier day for me. <laughs> okay. Well, that's awesome. Parker, Or what do you got for us so all the listeners can find you? Yeah, you can find stuff I write with Belly Up. Uh, or just like general retweets of like silly stuff across uh, uh, Twitter is at P Ainsworth 512. That's at Painsworth 512, P A I N S W O R T H 512. Um, you can also find Shaka Cummings and I on FN Sports Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we both teach, that's our, our day job is being teachers. And so we sit around and grade sports theses and topics uh, for fun because grading is what teachers do for fun, right? And so you can find that most Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts, also through Belly Up. So, Hardcourt Hunties, you should remember Chaka. He's been one of our favorite guests. Hopefully, maybe someday we'll do a good collab together. But who knows? I just came up with that now. Something we can talk <laughs> about maybe later. Hey, we maybe almost have a new honey to join. So we could do, we, like, you could run, like, a battle of the sexes. We could do that idea <laughs> that so we could so would be able oh. to pull it off. I think we could do that. Chaka and Parker versus Jade and Hopeful New Honey. <laughs> We're going to hold the name back as a surprise for listeners. We're going to hold the name back. But today's episode is going to be about the beginning of bubble basketball. We're talking about the real stuff, not scrimmages, real deal ball. So today we're going to talk about primarily that Thursday night opening night of ball, um, which was like your favorite game that night. Some takeaways you had with the game. Some superstar duos came out. Which ones played well, which ones didn't, if you thought they both played well, whichever. And then, as usual, randomness of basketball that will happen, but we love doing it anyways. It's probably what you guys are here to listen about anyways. So, start off for it. So, the two games that start off on Thursday was Pelicans and then Jazz and then Lakers and Clips. Parker, we'll start off with you since you are the guest of the week. Which was your favorite game? From opening night, I mean, it's hard to beat LeBron and Davis versus Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like, I, like that's four of the best 10 or 15 players in the league. Um, that's that's a lot of fun. They both ended up all being the really... sloppiness that came from it, too? <laughs> well, it's been a lot of sloppiness. I, I really think, though, like, my, my take on it was more like 
those four guys I'd watch play any game. They're a projected Western Conference Finals matchup. Like that, that was just a lot of fun. I will say it's there's been a lot of close games in the first two days of basketball though. Like it's there's been a lot of that like last second shot. I thought Ingram got a good look at the end of the Pels game. Um, but it, it, I, I, I obviously enjoy watching LeBron play. I got his jersey. I got to buy me. Like I'm, a, I'm a big LeBron guy. So, but I, I was both games were good. I just it was a lot of fun. Jade, what about you? Were you pretty much the same way, Lakers, with it, or were you a little bit curious with that younger Pelican squad going at it? I was thinking about this because we had the questions to review in advance, and I'm realizing that I'm very much an underdog NBA fan. The big names don't do it. They just don't do it for me. And I had to watch both of the games because I had stuff to track for our prop me contest. I had to force myself to pay attention to the Lakers game all the way through. I just... (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I like the I like the smaller teams, smaller record teams. I like the underdog stories. When it gets into playoffs, that's different. But like up until that point, I like the the smaller the smaller market games better. So since you liked that smaller game, then did you want to see more of Zion? Because he only got 15 minutes. Not so much. I mean, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me with that game is. Kind of what I've been saying all season that New Orleans is going to be a problem in a few seasons, two, two or three maybe, and just their inexperience. Like they're showing their inexperience in not being able to play with a lead and and maintain it. That's such a like a young team problem, getting out ahead and letting the other team get back into it. If they can get that figured out, it's going to make their life a whole lot easier. But yeah, it was a really entertaining game. It was fun, like Parker said, that it came back to that last shot and it was so close. But yeah, that was that was the game that I most enjoyed. It might be something to the fact that that was the first game too. I don't know, maybe that played into it, but yeah, that was the game I liked the best. Okay, we'll we'll stick with this Pels situation here. Even though like it was a rough game for both teams, do you still actually like? I know you're saying a couple of years down the road, but right now, like if they're playing. Zion more minutes because he was super effective. I think he played about 19 minutes and he had 15 points. And I think he only missed about one shot. Can the Pels be a secret dark horse of sliding into that playoff, Jade, or is that still no go? This season? Yes. If it comes if it comes down to a playing tournament, at like I think they have to be within four games of eighth. Mm-hmm. If it if it comes down to that, I think there's a chance because it's a it's only it's one game, right? Yes. But Memphis lost last night, too, yeah. or yesterday. So that should kind of balance things out a little bit. Parker, do you see Pelicans coming out as a dark horse, too, with that? Since, I mean, they put up a solid game against a very defensive-minded Utah Chaz. The last mm-hmm. second shot. Well, and the funny thing, too, is you talk about, like, a young team. Like, Ingram catches and gets a good look. I think J.J. Redick ends up coming off for what might have been a better look. But you got an all-star, let him take the shot. Like, it's a young team, and they're fun. I think that the truth is, like, this whole thing, whether you want to believe in NBA conspiracies or not, like, is kind of set up to – they're completely set up for them to have a chance, right? Like, um, there's no other reason with an eight-game playoff or, you know, seeding game that you'd have someone that's four games out – like have a shot at this, but we're going to let the Pelicans have a shot at this. Cause like it gets Zion on TV. <laughs> and then the idea that they could have potentially have a, you know, play in to get that eight seed. What I don't think people like everyone thinks about Zion versus LeBron in the eight seed. The other story there is all those dudes that LA shipped out versus Davis have also flipped sides there. Like there's a lot of drama in a first round series with Pelicans and Lakers 
that I don't think the NBA like the NBA can sit here and say there's no conspiracy, but they clearly want that like back and forth. They want like Lonzo to say something to LeBron about like he shouldn't have shipped us off, or like you want that they want that moment. They want Lavar to tweet something silly. Like it's not it's not that big a secret. I don't know why they're trying to hide behind like oh it's this competitive nature. Uh, I will say if they're only gonna play Zion 15 minutes, they got to figure out the right 15 minutes because he he should have been in the game there at the end. They might have pulled that one off. Um, if I. Minute restrictions of science, I don't know much about, but I, I would have had him in the game at the end. Because he was saying how, uh, like a brief interview after the game, how he was he was not pleased with the amount of playing time that he got. Which, at this point, I kind of get where he's coming from, considering ever since he got to the league, and I mean rightfully so, they've babied him so much. They make Kawhi's load management stuff look like a weekend trip. Okay, but, like, he's a 19-year-old who's had to have knee surgery. Like, I get it. They're looking, they're hoping to preserve his career long-term, right? Like, rushing stuff back could be the worst possible thing for him. But what is he, like, he's had almost a year now for some of that stuff to recuperate, to rehab, and he's had four months of nothing just to rehab and train. I was surprised there was, like, talk about, like, Zion's in shape when they, we saw that, like, sick picture. He's, like, all flexed out, had, like, the Bane-looking mask on, right, or whatever. Like, he's going to be in shape. He looked less in shape just, like, physically. Like, it looked he, like he still had some of the 19-year-old kid in him physically in, like, the game than he did in that, like, picture from working out, right? And so, like, I wonder, like, if he's still working towards getting into playing shape. I mean, it's been a while since we had a guy like that, but you had like Shaq had those problems his whole career, but it didn't make him less of a dominant player when it counted. And like Mm -hmm. Charles Barkley had that problem his whole career. Like some of these guys just like got to, you know, work their way into shape at some point. I get my deal is if he's only going to play 15, it it needed needed to be a different 15. It needed to be. That's that's barely a quarter. That's my, okay. Give him minute restriction, but 15 minutes, Jade, would you restrict Zion to 15? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm not going to question. If you were in but... this situation as a Pelicans coach. Yes. As a coach, yes. Because not even 20? Pelicans have no chance this season. They're probably not getting out of the first round. So why are you going to risk it when their success is not this year? It's probably not next. Why? Why do that? Oh, okay. I think, I think my bigger thing, though, is that, like, Again, like if the doctor walks up to Gentry and is like, he only gets 15 minutes, th- that becomes on Gentry then to me about making sure he's in the most po- important 15 minutes of the game. It's not the doctor's supposed to be the like outsider, like looking out for what's best for everyone kind of thing. And I don't mean that Gentry has been a great coach his whole career. I don't mean like diminish what Gentry's done with a young group of guys. It's just like, you know, if if you're told the Lakers, LeBron only got 15 minutes. Five of them would be the last five. You know, like yeah. there's no that no other team's going to do that with their most dominant player. I say dominant because Ingram obviously is an all-star and he gets his full share or whatever. But yeah, so it's a bit of a different conversation, right? Like I agree with Parker. If 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 the player's only going to get 15 and everybody agrees to that going in, it's important to manage those minutes. Time management isn't shouldn't just be about the number of minutes, right? As a coach, your entire job, whether if you have minutes restrictions or not is to make sure the most effective lineup of people are in the game as much as they need to be for whatever is happening in the game so I don't disagree with a minutes restriction because I don't have the information to disagree with that but in terms of 
what Parker's saying about the minutes that he was in could have been better handled. I agree with that for sure. This is a team that if they want a serious shot at it, I mean, if they really are aiming for it, Zion has to play more. Everyone chipped, everyone chipped in that Pels game because Drew Holiday had, I think, 20. J.J. Redick had 18. Ingram had over 20. Uh, Lonzo Ball was just passing to everyone, was finding everyone. So Here's a different question then. If this is the conversation we're having, to me it begs the question, is there being too much pressure put on him and that team too soon? Because, I mean, this is a team that was in complete NBA obscurity a season ago. And all well, of a sudden, they got good enough in one year to get to the to playoff contention, at least. There's a chance. Only because of COVID, too. If it had been a regular straight-through season, good chance they miss it that eighth seed this year based on where things were when we stopped. So I kind of feel like the expectations in this first successful year is like, do we really, they don't need to do significantly better than they did for the year to be a success. Well, but like, that is fair that like last year they were not, but that's also the year that Davis like sat himself for most of the year. Like the years before with Davis, they were in the, you know, they were pushing the Warriors in, in the first round and then they were in the second round the other year and, like, it's it's just, like, a very different team than any team they've had recently, and it's a lot of names we know. I will say that, like, we do this in the NBA with lots of teams, though. Like, there are lots of people waking up today, like, super upset, because I live here in Dallas. Like, people are, like, super upset that Dallas is, like, destined, it looks like, to get the seventh seed, and that means they're going to play the Clippers in the first round, and that's a hard matchup, and, like, oh, we're done. The season's a fail. It's like, no, you have a 23-year-old Porzingis and a 20-year-old Luka Doncic, and, like, you're in the playoffs and like playing fun games. Like like people do this all the time with really young teams. Like because the seasons are long and we get to know the guys so well so fast, we assume that like they're gonna be great by 22. And it's like, or they're gonna be 22 by 22. And like LeBron's exactly. still in the league. LeBron's still in the league, guys. Like it's still his show. You know, Dang. Steph Curry's gonna be back next season. Like like they're these guys are coming back. Like uh, we do this a lot with young teams. That's what frustrates me when we have these standards for these rookies that come in. They're coming in at 19, and then they're comparing them to the greats, and they're like, well, when this great player was in for four years, they were already doing this. Well, that great player in the 80s did three years of college, so when they got to the NBA, they were already a little bit older, a little bit more matured with everything. So once they get to their third or fourth season, they're 27 in their beginning of their prime instead of 24 where some players – we're getting drafted at that point. So that's why usually now when I see a freshman getting drafted, I say give him four years before you even see a growth. Like the first few years you might see, okay, this thing changed, this thing changed, this thing changed. And then year four for me is like when everything comes together and that's when the player has to show what they learned the first few. Well, you hear like Maury and Colangelo and that like whole group of like super analytic people that like worked all together at different points in the mid 2000s. They say like you kind of know whether or not a guy can be a star player or a role player or a bench player by like year three or four. Like by year three or four, like you've had like, you know, you've had a couple full seasons, you've had your big moments or whatever. And like like the people that break that trend are very few and far between. But that's that's even that's three or four years like. Zion's been in the league, league less than 12 months. <laughs> like, like it's, like and it, didn't play most of that. Yeah, it, it's just, it, and it's not fair to those guys. Like, a lot of that team, if you look at that, uh, the Pelicans team, like, 
Brandon Ingram's kind of at the edge of that three or four year mark. Like Lonzo Ball's still in that three or four year mark. Jackson yep. Hayes, Josh Hart, those guys are in that. And then like you do have the other end, or like Drew Holiday and JJ Redick at the other end of their career, and like they're kind of like the veteran leaderships in the locker room or whatever. But like the crux of that Pelicans team are all guys that that if that three or four years is really what we're looking at are still within that window. Okay. So we got our little chat with the Pelicans. Now we're going to flip a little bit with that Utah team for that game. So they started off with Rudy Gobert being a center point, but then definitely towards the end, they stepped away from him. Jade, do you see Rudy Gobert as more of an offensive item for this Utah team as they're going in depth? Or was this more just trying something out since he had a smaller Derek Favors on? I'd have to say it's trying something out. Like, when I think Rudy Gobert, I'm always going to think defense first. So to to try and say he's going to be, like, an offensive key point in, in the lineup, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm always, I, I like when coaches try different things. I think that's important, especially in the playoffs. But to think that long term, that's going to be what they're doing with him, I don't think I see that working out. Parker, what's your take on the idea of having Rudy Gobert being a go-to player on the offensive end. Well, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit because I wrote my belly up bubble preview. One of my bubble previews was about Utah. So I looked at them pretty closely. I think the thing that is interesting in Utah is that Bogdanovich said he's he's not playing, right? I forget what injury it was, but there's some injury where he was like, I'm just going to rehab this and stay home. Uh, he was their second leading scorer and he was a great two-way player, great guy on both ends. And they're going to miss him a lot. And I would be worried about it if I were them. I read that first game where they're trying to get Rudy involved in offense to start as like, you know, Quinn Snyder's like looking at it as can I replace some of those buckets with Rudy Gobert? Because you hadn't really banked on those ever before, right? And so like this would be some way to like kind of make up because Bogdanovich is scoring over 20 points a game. Like you're trying to find up a way to make up those points because like Clarkson can help you score the points. I think he had over 20 on Thursday, but uh he is not a defender. So, like, he's <laughs> going to give up. He's going to bleed points. Um, Royce O'Neal is kind of the opposite, right? Like, in an increased role, I think he, like, just broke 10, right? He, like, broke in a double digits for the first time in a long time. But, like, he's going to lock down whoever he's covering. And so, like, that helps back and forth. But Bogdanovich was this nicer balance between the two. I will say Conley looked a lot better, I think, on Thursday than he did in the regular season for them. And so maybe that's the picking up some of the slack that they didn't have. Um, but I don't I don't know. I don't know how they're going to replace Bogdanovich. I think he, when I looked at it and started breaking it down for that preview, you know, admittedly, I wouldn't have known it before, but he is harder to replace, I think, than people are realizing. That's what I was, when I was watching the game, they were bringing him up, and so I had to do a little deeper dive with it. Yeah, over 20 points. So who is the, since you, Parker, since you did the in-depth look at it real quick for the for the article you wrote, who is a player that needs to step up because of the loss of Bogdanovich? I don't I don't know if they have a single guy that can do it because like they already played a pretty they already talked about how they had six starters right they already uh, kind of rotated who that fifth starter was it's going to be stuff like Donovan Mitchell is going to kind of need to go from a twenty points a game guy to a twenty five points a game guy and Mike Conley is going to need to go from a twelve to a fifteen and Clarkson's going to have to cover a little bit better and Royce O'Neal is going to need to consistently be more in the 12 to 14 range. They're going to, they're going to need like just a little bit more from a lot of guys. Um, and we talked about that three to four year window a second ago at the Pels, like Mitchell's kind of at that third year, right? It's like, all right, Mitchell, like we're in the playoffs and like, yeah, we're a little shorthanded, but 
sometimes when you're shorthanded, somebody's just got to go get 40 tonight. And 40 is a lot, but like, like someone's got to go get some buckets tonight. Right. And like, you know, I, I feel bad at shocking those, my, my co-host for my podcast. I enjoy like pooping on the jazz a lot. Um, that it's really fun to me because they get really riled up about it. But, um, if Donovan Mitchell can't do that stepping up that he's need that he needs to right now, he's going to have some question marks. I, I, he just is. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's the way the NBA world works. We're going to be like, who is this guy? We thought he was rookie of the year. He had the whole, what a real rookie is campaign. Right. And now it's like, what you doing, man? You got to get out of the first round. Yeah, it's know. the same thing that he's been doing since he's gotten to the league, which is still great things, but it's like, is this just the end product to begin with, or do we see more? Because I remember he was getting compared to Dwayne Wade. And that's the thing that takes us back to that other conversation we were having, where these guys come into the league and there's all this like, ooh, they're going to be this, and they're going to be this, and they're and like, you can't know that soon. And that's why we end up in these conversations where, well... Now he's not doing that. Well, was it fair to ever expect him to do that in the first place? We didn't know who he was as a player. It, that that takes time. Um, but it's, the Western Conference is going to be really interesting the next few seasons because I see there being like a changing of the guard happening. I think the Lakers have this season and maybe next season to win. Mm-hmm. Same with the Clippers. And then in those time, you got the Pelicans, the Mavs, the Jazz. <laughs> they're gonna show that's, up no that's fair i will <laughs> that are going to be that are young teams that could be finding themselves and i think i i just i see the western conference the top of the western conference looking very different in a couple of seasons i'm i'm gonna see i honestly see a complete shift where all these bottom speeder teams that we were talking about they're going to be the top-seeded teams, and all these top-seeded teams we have are going to be the bottom feet. The only thing I would contest that with is if the Lakers can re-sign Davis and there's like a peaceful changing of the guard there, you could just go from LeBron 1A, Davis 1B to like the inverse, and I don't know if they get much worse. The Clippers' interesting thing is like they really only have Kawhi for two years guaranteed, and he's shown he's kind of unpredictable, right? Like. He could have two years guaranteed. Like, ah, I don't like this whole it's playing at home thing. Mom's mom's in my ear too much. I'm going back out <laughs> east. Like, you don't know. Like, you have no idea, right? Yeah. Like, um, I'm bored here. <laughs> right. Like, there's no way to know what he's going to be doing. Um, you know, the the Warriors are coming back next year, theoretically healthy and strong, but also like they're all a little bit older. You know, I, it'll be interesting to see like which team of that old guard blows it up first. Like. I, I'm a big Rockets guy, but like, there's a real chance if they don't do well, they blow the whole thing up, right? There's a real chance if the you know Warriors decide to go with this number one pick and get younger, they could blow it all up. Uh, you you could really see some different things happen to let those younger teams kind of sneak in, or they could be all changing teams as the NBA. Like the guys seem to change teams every 18 months anyway. So so true, so true. Well, to swing in back about the games, which team or player was the biggest surprise or biggest appointment disappointment for you uh parker it was on the first night i think i've said several times i was upset that zion wasn't in in clutch time for the pelicans so i don't need to you know sit on that for too much longer because that anyway i've said my piece there in the first <laughs> two days i would look at memphis like all of these games are super important for memphis and you can't fumble that you can't fumble that portland game like he, i understand that carmelo anthony is like a bucket like he's gonna go get points but like you can't you can't let that i understand and portland's good and nurkic is back and da, 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 
but every game matters too much to Memphis to lose that one in overtime. They should they had they had to win that game. They needed that game. There's a team behind them trying to catch them. John Morant has shown up and been that dude a lot of the time. You can't you can't give that one up, man. Like I I don't have I'm not gonna sit here and pinpoint and break down a 21 year old kid's game too much, but like <laughs> you got to you got to win that game. Like you got it you got to win, and they didn't win. See, and that doesn't surprise me at all because I've been saying it the whole time we've been talking about this that. I've been concerned that Memphis being a new kind of unit with a new rookie leader, I've been saying that's a team that wouldn't surprise me if they falter through these games because some things only come with experience and this is the experience. And for young players, usually the experience comes in the form of losing. And one thing with the Blazers team is it is a team that can perform in the playoffs and clutch the, the blazers are probably the most clutch team in the nba like to have such poor starts of seasons like last season and then get to the playoffs and then and i thought they overperformed wildly through the playoffs before they got eliminated like that's that team that if anybody's gonna come out of out of the darkness and and take that spot it's like and i don't love portland but i just think they're the most likely to throw a wrench in the works for for Memphis or New Orleans or any of those other teams in the West chasing that eighth spot. Damian Lillard has ended two series already in his career by a clutch game-winning shot, one time in Game 6 against Houston, and then last year in Game 7 against OKC right over Paul George. So when you do have one of the more clutch players in the league, this is his kind of showtime. This is his realm because... Ooh, we only have a certain amount of games and we have to get things done. We're going to get the I'm going to get things done for sure. Let's get everyone else to it. Memphis made Mello look like New York Mello. That was he what got, I noticed last night. Completely. Too. Complete. Well, another thing too is I don't think Portland can beat the Lakers in a 7-game series, but they have a much better chance than the Pelicans or the Grizzlies or the even the like the Kings whoever else is in that bottom whatever, right? Like of the teams that can force a playoff and steal the 8 seed. Portland's the only one I'd have any faith in, like if I'm putting $100 down at Vegas or whatever, just because Lillard can give you 40 one night and McCollum can give you 40 the next. And Melo is still, he ain't guarding anybody, but he can get a bucket. Like there's no. <laughs> he's still a bucket. He's still a bucket. Yeah. Hey, he showed some defense that once, the one scrimmage game I watched, he <laughs> broke up that fast break alley oop. And I, I tweeted, I was like, I think I'm in the Twilight Zone because. Mello just did that. I don't know what's going on. Oh, you know, Mello got winded after that one. <laughs> he just hands on his head, keeping the oxygen flow going right, deep breaths with it all. I mean, he's another one of those players that's come back from the break pretty trim. He, he, well, he's always been a little soft his whole career. So. Well, and the thing is, so I was, they were talking about that, and he said he actually didn't lose weight. He just shifted up his workouts, which then – transformed his body and i was just like wait you didn't lose weight you look in better shape yeah that's perfectly normal muscle weighs more than fat yeah but <laughs> i'm no doctor so that's standard i will fat. say jade is it standard to do in your mid 30s <laughs> like I mean, job like, to be an athlete it should be right? not every it's, athlete is still an athlete part, in their middle that's all i'm yeah. saying <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and then, so we were mentioning before about how all these games, for the most part, happened very close. Primarily what I noticed was 
they were rough starts. So is Jade, do you think this is kind of what it's going to be like for the first few games back? Or was it just well, because it was first game jitters of returning to a brand new kind of season? It's funny you mentioned that because I've got Utah OKC on my TV in the background here. And there's 345 to play in the first. And it's oh, Utah just scored their first 11 points and OKC has 20. So, I mean, Utah, the Jazz have already played. We've been talking about it, and they are having a rough start. Like, the Thunder are giving them that work right now. So, I think it depends on the team and the matchup. Like, I think some of the stuff is going to be similar to a regular season where you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. I think because everything is so happening in such a short period of time with these seeding games, I think if you don't get in rhythm in your first I'll say two games. You might be in. You might be in some trouble. Parker, do you uh, do you agree with Jade with this, or so do you think this is just a uh, we're getting rust off real quick and then we're back into what you? Well, I do think that it's important. Like I thought, the first two days of games were better quality than like when I watch teams play in October to start the year normally. Like I don't know what the right like gauge is, but it's certainly not like where I'm used to watch. Like it doesn't look like it normally looks eight games out from the playoffs. So that that's fair. Um, I think the interesting thing in all the close games is, like, the two games that were decided by 10 or more points thus far were Orlando beating Brooklyn, and Brooklyn sent, like, some fans for Orlando. Like, they really, like, honestly, like, who was playing for Brooklyn right now? We talk about all the guys that aren't playing, but, like, like they couldn't even get Michael Beasley to show up. Poor and guy. Then, <laughs> I, I, I liked him a lot at Kansas State once upon a time, but he's had a rough pro career. Then in Phoenix, so Phoenix beat Washington by 13, but there's a real argument that Phoenix and Washington should both not even be there. Like, we had that argument. <laughs> yeah, like like was, there's a real conversation there, right? And so that those are the only two games that are even by more decided by ten or more points. You've had multiple overtimes, lots of last second shots, whether they went in or went out, right? Um, it like it's fun to have playoff level teams all playing each other because we left the bad teams at home. That these teams are all the ones playing, right? So like there is no blowout of the starless Warriors because. They didn't get invited, right? Like, those games typically are, like, kind of breaking up the close games, but we don't have those games. That's a very good point. When you don't have those bad teams and it's primarily just good teams, you're probably going to be getting more good games out of it all. But, okay, I think we did a solid breakdown of that first game. Now we're going to get to that Battle of Los Angeles game. Parker, out of the duos that were there, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George versus LeBron James and A.D., which duo were you more impressed with? So I'm going to show my bias a little bit in being the millennial that likes LeBron. Um, that LeBron can decisively win a game and like still have sh- like look like the best player on the floor at times in the clutch, but also you could argue like played a pretty bad game. Like that's that weirdly struck me as impressive. Like you could say for three and a half quarters it looked like LeBron was having a bad game, but then at the end he's like, ah, we're going to win this one, and like. He won the game. He got his own tip in and played the defense at the end, down the stretch. Um, Davis played tremendously. Um, Paul George had two kind of why'd you take those shots. He is a good basketball player. I don't mean to say that. But of those four guys with Kawhi Leonard as the other guy, like of those four superstars in that matchup are in question here, like Paul George is the fourth best player. Um, which says a lot. Which that right. says a lot. <laughs> right. And I, like Paul George is an all-star and an you know, may have run at an all-NBA all team, I don't know. But, like, of those four, he's the fourth-best player. Um, I was impressed by LeBron and AD because 
up until about seven minutes left in the fourth, I was like, man, LeBron's playing bad. And then at the end of the game, I was like, man, LeBron won the game. You know, like I, that he can turn it on like that at the end. And he was like pacing it the whole time was impressive to me. But again, I also, I'm, I literally have his jersey right there. Like I, I'm not like going to try and hide my biases here. I like him a lot. Jade, what about you? Did you agree with Parker with there or were you leaning more towards the Clippers route? Yeah, so I do agree with Parker, and this comes from a completely non-biased opinion because I don't like LeBron James. I've never <laughs> liked him. Um, and every time I have to say, like, I don't I don't hate LeBron James. I'm not a LeBron hater. I'm completely indifferent to LeBron James. I don't care. I don't give a crap. I'm not impressed. I'm not unimpressed. He's, a, he's that dude in the league. And the thing that always gets me about him is what Parker said. He has that ability to just be like, well, it's time. This is what's about to happen. And you can't stop it. Like once he once he makes that decision, that's it. And I've I've talked about this a bunch of times where people are like, oh, like last season where they're like, oh, LeBron's on the decline. I'm like, no, he's not. He knows his team has no shot this year, so he's coasting. That's what's happening here. And people were surprised. It's like, oh, I guess he wasn't on decline last year. And it's like, nope, he wasn't because I told you what was going on. He has a chance this year, so he's back. Like he's smart that way. He still manages to play hard enough that NBA fans at large don't notice that he's doing it on purpose, but clearly he's doing it on purpose. Um, So that's always kind of the thing with me. Like, I would rather see the Clippers make it to the finals, but I can't bet against that thing that LeBron does when he just decides, nope, this is not how things are going to go. Yep. Just like, okay, nothing's happening. It does remind me of, like, when he was his first stint with the Cavs. And it was the playoffs against Detroit where he ended up scoring the last 25 points for Cleveland. That was a moment where he's just like, okay, you guys aren't doing anything for me. Just give me the ball and I'll figure this out myself. Like, yeah. well, I wish I had that kind of talent. Just in anything where like I see people around me just kind of messing up a little bit. Like, guys, just stop working. I'll do it and we'll be okay. Yeah, it's, a fun talent. it's a fun talent to have, I can tell you from experience. It's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Or, to be the- to be the LeBron of anything would be I great. I can end this right now. I have control of the board. I can end this now. But Jade's exactly right about one thing, and that's like the way LeBron openly like doesn't really hide it if you're paying attention. Like we saw LeBron play tremendous defense at different times on Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. He even guarded Marcus Morris in the post for a stretch of the game, right? Like he he guarded whoever he wanted very very well. But then you watch like a random game in January. And, like, he's missing help side assignments. He is, like, letting dudes blow mine on the baseline, like, pointing at, like, Andy Davis. Like, why aren't you there? Help me out, man. Like, he's he very much picks his spots. And he was, like, Thursday night, first first or second game back, first game for the Lakers back, this is my spot. Like, you're not you're not going to watch this game and think anything less of me after that. Um, it, it was imp- I was impressed by it. But So, I got to ask. So, we're talking about the Lakers. I got a quick question about Kawhi. So, like, Kawhi did real well, but towards the end – the clutchness that we have seen from Kawhi didn't really show for at least me, and it seemed like he was trying to do too much. Do you guys, Jay? Do you agree with that idea, or is that just something that I was just making up in my head? Because like no, that I, last play with LeBron guarding him, that was a real bad showing for Kawhi because that showed he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for Kawhi. Um, Clutch happens when he's got some rhythm, and I don't think he's quite there yet, um, just from the scrimmage games and having just this one game kind of under his belt. When he was in Toronto last year, like, 
it wasn't necessarily all at the beginnings of games or the beginnings of series where his offense was on point. You can always rely on him defensively, but like the big offensive moments came later in games and later in series a lot of the time. Uh, so I think that's probably, hopefully, just a byproduct of, you know, only three scrimmage games before we're back into meaningful games. And as we see the, the Clippers take on their next couple games, hopefully that'll shake off a bit. Okay. I mean, I, I trust you, Jade, with it, because at least you witnessed him firsthand for a year at least with it. And then, Parker, I'm going to swing that this question, same question over to you. Do you see that? Did you notice that Kawhi was trying to do too much last night with a little bit of a letdown or once again it was it just me i feel like he was very much like kind of figuring out because they hadn't had as many close games with the entire roster on the available i guess they didn't have lou williams and montrose Harrell, but like with the whole roster available they haven't had a whole lot of close games and it was like this seeing who gets what who gets what opportunities with the guys he's got around him now because i think in toronto you know and jade can correct me if i'm wrong but there was a lot of games where like yeah Kawhi shooting because Kawhi's going to get the ball. Like, there's no question about Kawhi getting the shot, right? And kind of at the end of his run in San Antonio, he was that guy too. He doesn't necessarily have that same responsibility now. Like, they lined up and LeBron is covering him, and so there was going to be this, like, dribble handoff for Paul George. And that's, like, a very new thing for him to just be like, oh, I guess someone else is getting the shot. Like, that take that takes practice, right? If you go back and watch, like, the Heat in 2011, like, they didn't get it down right away either, right? Like, each one of those guys, Wade, LeBron, and Bosch, had like always been that guy, and now they're trying to like figure that out, and it took them a little while, and they didn't post up JJ Beret enough, and they lost, right? Like it, uh, it, it, it takes some time to figure that out. I think Kawhi will figure it out fairly quickly because it's just him and Paul George. Like they're not as much as they missed Lou Williams on Thursday. He's not getting the shot there. Like that's not really his shot, right? Um, it's 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 figuring out that handoff and figuring out a, a bet, you know, a set that works for that or whatever. Because the truth is, once LeBron shifted to Paul George, he should have kicked it right back to Kawhi. Kawhi had I forget who on him, but I want to say it was Green and like Danny Green's a good defender, but it was it was uh, Caldwell Pope. Yeah, Caldwell. So I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, that should be, yeah, that should have been money. Fun. Yeah, that it should have been. They still had two seconds left when he put the shot up. I was like, well, man, you could get two more passes in. And, and then, I mean, Caldwell Pope is not strong enough to guard Kawhi Leonard 15 feet out. He can just put one dribble back, one, two dribble back, and, like, fade over the top of him. And it, it's a better shot. You know, it might not be the best shot, but it's a better shot. They got stuff to figure out, but Doc Rivers is a good coach. Those are very talented basketball players. Like, they'll, they'll figure it out. And the or, next matchup when Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams are back – it might not have been that as close at the end had those guys been available. Like, Lou Williams is instant offense, even if he's a complete bonehead. I don't know what the <laughs> hell he was thinking, but he's that guy. You need buckets. You put in Lou Williams. Buckets are going to happen. And the defensive presence of Montrez Harrell, especially at his size for the Clippers, like, I think they miss those guys more than um maybe people realize well and like their their key thing has been depth all year right it's like it hurt their depth i also think though like the lakers sitting here thinking lebron had 16 points or 18 points or whatever it was and we're fine we'll be like like if lebron if you told me lebron's gonna get like 18 7 and 7 i'm like oh man they had a rough night and they did so i you know i i think that both teams left the game thinking they're fine i don't know which one's right but well, um, both teams had over 20 turnovers by the end of the night. So yeah. I was going to bring up the turnover issue, that. like if that was going to hurt them. But both of them could not hold on to the ball. So it really balanced itself out. 
that was a lot of turnovers between both those games. Oh, it was rough. Like, like, whoa, that was a lot of turnovers. A lot of turnovers, a lot of hand-checking fouls the first two nights. Like, questionable, like... Anyway, like I was, you know, there have been multiple games where both teams are shooting over 35 free throws, and it's like, what do we do? Like, we didn't come here to watch the stripes. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not. Right. Well, wait, wait, wait. How can you say that when I your boy is all that? He had 21 free throws last night, bro. He also and had 49 points. The free throw game and how you. Um. Oh my God. Take away the free throws. How many points did he have? That's the point. Uh, how many? So how many? He had shot twenty-one. Let me pull up how many he made. Because I don't. He didn't. Twenty shooting. It is so fourteen for twenty shooting. shooting. He is eighteen for twenty-one. Eighteen for twenty-one free. So without his free throws, he's still over thirty points. Like. Yeah. <laughs> like but yeah. I mean, you got us there. I will also, also say like I don't know how many of there were, but the Rockets shot one more free throw than the Mavs, and the Mavs intentionally fouled like the time at the end of regulation, then two or three times at the end of the overtime, try and get the ball back. So, like, the truth is, like, the free throws are, like, it's 39 to 38 on team free throws. Like, oh, at, yeah, no. Like, at, at, while you consider and be like, well, Harden got all of the Rockets team free throws, like, the team count is not actually a whole lot yeah, different. Yeah, and when you look at it that way, yeah, because when I was looking at the stat sheet, I saw, like, him shooting 21 free throws, and then the next person had, like, six. So it definitely was. Um, Whereas... The Mavs are balanced out because like Luca had close to ten, Porzingis had eleven. Like they they had they had about the same amount of team free throws and just spread it out different. Yeah. They also well, spread out I, their offense different. Like <laughs> that's just how so they spread. Houston has better has like the better two players, but do you think he, uh, Dallas has overall better team depth wise? If I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan today, waking up, and I gotta tell you guys, between spending most of my time growing up in Houston, I went to college out in California. And I currently live in Dallas. So, like, that's San Antonio fans living near Austin. That's Laker and Warriors fans in California. And that's Dallas fans here. Like, every time the Rockets play, the next day my phone is, like, a bajillion text messages. Like, I, <laughs> like I hear, like, a lot of people like, oh, my God. They're like, it doesn't really matter who we even played. Like, it, I get it all the time. If I'm a Dallas Mavs fan waking up today, I'm mad at a couple things. One, like, you're never going to get 30 points at a Trey Burke again. You need to keep riding that horse. Like, you need to keep going with that as long as you can go. I get that Kleber hit a big three. Maxi Kleber hit a big three in the last minute or so, but they didn't play Boban enough to me. Their their uh, their Boban, I think, was like his size advantage played out differently than a Kristaps or Ma- Maxi because those guys sit out and shoot threes, and like Houston kind of wants seven footers shoot and through sit out and shoot threes because that's not as they still beat us up on the boards, but it's not nearly as dramatic as it could have been if they're sitting down on the block, you know, like. Boban, there's the one clip from last night where, like, Daniel House, is, it looks like a child. Like, he's, like, trying to block oh, yeah, him out, and Boban just, like, that. he just grabs it and just puts it right back over the top of him. And it was, like, it was, it was like watching me play basketball against my niece. Just, yeah. like, oh, ball, uh, there we go. Just, but, like, barely move around. But with that kind of a size advantage, Boban played less than five minutes. Like, I, I'd be upset about that if I'm them. Trey yeah. Burke having 30 points, like I said a second ago, I'd, play, I'd have played him more. Um, I could have told you... I could have told you in February when we traded Clint Capella that Kristaps is going to get 40 when we play them. Anthony Davis is going to get 40 when we play them. Like, those seven-footers that can also put the ball on the ground are going to give Houston problems a lot. Um, it's, it's it's just a tough matchup all of a sudden because, you know, Capella's been hurt, and I can break – we can go into that a lot if you want, but, like, that's going to hurt Houston a lot. I don't know. I, I would have – I would be mad about other things if I were Dallas. 
And so just we're going to swing it back to the L.A. games. I got a quick question on it last. Uh, Parker, is there any significance to this first game between the two L.A.s, or is this just a marquee game of the week? I think there's significance in, like, a non-basketball sense. Like, it got everyone super excited. Although I will say Rudy Gobert being the, like, assumed patient zero by the NBA fans and then getting the first bucket back was nice and poetic. But, like, opening up opening night with, like, LeBron and the Lakers versus Kawhi and the Clippers was fun. And that was important for fans way more so than I think it was for either team, right? Because we talked about earlier, like, LeBron did not play well but won the game. The Clippers weren't at full strength. Like, there, there's just, there's, it wasn't, like, as meaningful, I don't think. They're also both pretty well locked into their one and two seeds right now. Like, there's not a whole lot moving there. Um, I'd be surprised, frankly, if either team plays that hard again in the seeding games just because they both have guys they want to take care of and not overwork, you know? I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> as you play the Lakers tonight. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I, I said the same thing when we did our, our show with um, Mark from Statement Games on Tuesday. I don't think these two teams care about these games. This is a formality so they can start the playoffs. That's all this is for them. And like you said, like having that, being able to, to, to capitalize on that battle of LA thing again from a marketing standpoint for the NBA is gold. That was the biggest part of that matchup for the teams themselves neither of them care if they're one or two they're they've both got those guys that have been through to the finals enough times that they know that if that's not the be all and end all of winning a championship is what what your seating is for those teams they don't care which which position that they're in because you know they've got Kawhi and LeBron both have that ability to turn it on when it's important and that's the playoffs okay so that was just Something I was curious about, considering, like, we've all said that this is probably going to be the matchup in the Western Conference Finals. So if this first game was going to mean anything, or was it more just, oh, it's the two L.A. teams playing each other. But, all right, I think Taylor's, we did. Taylor's writing off my Houston Rockets. We're just, we're not, we're not, we're not a factor to Taylor. Just give us or, time, man. They're not a factor to Jade either, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> you got to oh, score more than geez. us. You got to score more than us. You got to score more than us. We'll see. You can. You might be able to, but you got to score more than us. That's, That's pretty much. That is the best <laughs> way for it. That is. So I mean, honestly, if you guys could sneak up to that fifth seed, maybe best case situation, Utah hits that fourth seed. Utah can't do that fast baseball whatsoever. So you could get to the second round at least with that one. I, I, anyway, I'm, we're not going to break down. We'll do seating at the end of the eight games if you want. But I, Houston can. There's a finagling path where they just they every you got to go through LA. It's like it was. It's like it was in January. The champ, like the Western Conference is going to go through LA. You got to probably beat both of them and have a chance. Like true, true. And that's true. why my, that's why I wrote that article about why the Rockets should not have better odds at the finals than the Raptors do because Rockets aren't getting out of the West. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> See, Parker, I don't know if you know this, but Jay gets real high on her horse a lot, and she thinks she is the almighty. So Excuse me, that is not fair. That is not a fair characterization. As the Rockets could get out of the West just like the Raptors got to get out of the East. That's all I'll say. <laughs> hey, well, at least the Raptors got out of the East last year, so they showed they can. Granted, that was with Kawhi. 
I would say the guy that guarded Giannis is now in the LA, in L.A. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah. Jade's that's, got OG. That's a later pod. I can tell, like, Jade's face I'm not, very clearly. I'm not like, even going to – I don't have time. I don't have the energy. I know what I know, and that's going to have to be I will, good. <laughs> I will say, though, that's got to be something that, like, the entire city of Toronto has had that argument for, like, 12 months now, right? Like, that's yep. been – because how long the season's taken, like, that really has been a 12-month and counting argument for Toronto. I'm sure you will rehearse. Uh, we don't need to do that right now. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez. Well, I think we did a fair job at breaking down that first day and a little bit of that second day with it all. So, but right before we swing into our fast break today, our fast break is presented by PropMe. So PropMe is a social wagering platform catered to the everyday sports fan like us. It has a peer-to-peer betting marketplace for social wagering. It's an all-sports betting platform, including the new eSports. It's a company that leads in social wagering innovation. Join PropMe on the Google Play Store or Apple App Store today. Sign up and join the movement. Okay, so we're going to start off the fast break. And Parker, since you were the guest, we're going to swing it over to you first. So first first day back, first game back, first real stuff. Same competitiveness that we usually see? Or did you see a little bit different since of, like, no fans? I think the competitiveness showed up at the end of each game. Um just because they were all close, right? And like we talked about earlier, that those are good teams. Um, I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen, like, the beginning of a regular season, how I would compare the beginning. No home court advantage is going to be interesting, though. And so, like, it's going to definitely shift. Like, Utah and Denver have a strong home court advantage because they're playing in altitude. And, like, the fans are the only pro team in town, kind of. I guess the Denver has the Broncos, but don't play in the same season, right? And so, like, that, that'll be different. But I... They was competitive at the end, certainly, because they were all close games, or majority close games. All right, Jay, swing it over to you. We see the same competitiveness right now, or look faltering a little bit, look a little weak? I think I was I was surprised, and I made note of the fact that it didn't look as bad as I was expecting. So I have to say that the competitiveness was there. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't miss the fans at all. <laughs> you don't miss I them? I don't miss it. <laughs> like, well, what I was I wouldn't be mad if they came back, but I don't watch a game and go like, oh, there's something missing. Like, I'm not feeling that at all. One nice thing I liked was the baseline not having any of the camera people the or cameras. So I know, that makes me players crazy. Be safe. It's, like, it's such a liability. Why are there always people for the players to trip over sitting behind the – like, what that's I so unnecessary. Well, and, like, that – I mean – with the exception of the one Paul George injury many moons ago now, like there have been guys that get hurt running into people. Like it's not the stanza, it's the people, right? It, it's the people yeah. sitting there normally. Okay, so question two for the fast break. Um, Jade, I'll throw it to you this first this time. Um, how anticlimactic are the end of the games like once the buzzer horns? Because after that Pelicans game, even though like it was close down to the last shot buzzer, like when it was done, it was like, okay. Cool. Thanks for playing today, guys. I'm going to go back to my my hotel room. That one's difficult for me because I was rooting for the Pelicans. So the fact that they missed that last shot made it a little anticlimactic anyways without the kind of extra of not having a bunch of post-game interviews and, you know, the players greeting or saying bye to each other, the opposing teams and everything. So... I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to think about that one in context of a different game, I think. 
maybe the Raptors game tonight will give me a, a little clearer picture of how I feel about that. But um, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Like I think the thing for me is that like I watch basketball to watch the game. So like before I was writing and tweeting and everything about basketball, I would start watching Raptors games 20 minutes late so I could fast forward everything I didn't want to see. I just want to watch the game. So all the extra kind of stuff, just I'm not I'm not missing it at all. Okay. And um, so throw it to you, Parker. Uh, how, if you thought, how anticlimactic were the end of games? So I'm like Jaden that I have to like, like calibrate it because at the end of each game, with the exception of the Laker game and the Rocket game, I like was kind of ready for the next one, you know, like, cause like they're just staggered. Like they're like so back to back to back. Like at the end of Boston and Milwaukee, I was like, all right, now put Houston on. Right. Or at the end of, you know, Orlando and Brooklyn, I'm like, okay, now put Milwaukee on. Like I, 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 I like want to see the next one. Cause I like haven't had basketball in a long time. So I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention. And then, like, here in Texas, the Laker game ended at, like, midnight, and the Rockets-Mavs game ended, like, close there, too. Like, so that's bedtime. Like, like honestly, <laughs> uh, the I haven't gotten as much into the post-game stuff as I might have during a regular season with only two games a day. I will say I've laughed every time they have that, like, giant microphone stick. To, <laughs> like, like, they're, like, because they're doing it on the, like, it just it looks so funny to me. It's, like, all oh, of a yep. sudden there's, like, this, like, snapback to, oh, we are in the middle of a pandemic because you don't want to stand too Like, it's, like, oh, there's a reminder. Uh, that this is happening amidst a pandemic. That's it's been funny. It, like not to laugh at a pandemic. Like just, that's been no, funny. Just like <laughs> out of the blue, you see this shaking camera, the shaking <laughs> microphone. The thing like, that got me for that. It. The thing that got me for that was uh, the TNT guys six feet away, and they still have plastic. <laughs> still have the plexiglass with <laughs> yeah. it. Still listening to Chuck and Shaq getting at each other. Though that was still. That made me happy to see the TNT crew back at it again. You know, my yeah. favorite my favorite moment of the TNT crew was Kenny throwing shade at Lou Williams. That made my <laughs> whole thing. I liked it when also uh, Kenny Smith went into, like, the game and was, like, in the green screen with it. And then he came back with a plate and it had chicken wings in it. He's That's like, I just I saw talking. Lou. That's I just what I was talking about. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Just saw Lou. <laughs> Okay, last question for the fast break time. Parker, we'll start it off with you for the last question. So we're all excited. We're all loving basketball coming back. But I'm going to ask the opposite thing. What was the most difficult part to watch with these games? I mean, I made a comment about the referees earlier. Um, I think, assuming there's going to be some decrease in play, assuming there's going to be some whatever, like – there was this weird feeling like across the bottom, it felt like every headline was like baseball may be about to end. How are we going to do football? Like all these other things. And it's like this bubble is working great now. All these players are stacked on top of each other like sardines and like this Disney bubble that's clean. And like just for the love of God, keep the virus out of the bubble. Because if the virus gets inside, I don't know what you do. Like they're all no. on top of each other. And like I-, I heard Jade in a previous episode talk about how like she's been confident about this the whole time. But like – there's just like this part of me that's like the game is happening. Then below it's like the world is burning. Like that's like the bottom line across the bottom. Like, oh God, just don't ruin the basket. Like, <laughs> like this is my escape from the world. And like it's still across the bottom. Like, oh, oh. yeah, exactly. Because we were actually Jade and I. We were saying the other night how if you can stop one person from getting COVID, you're gonna stop them all. But once one person gets it, that's when everything falls apart. So if you can stop one, stop them all. Hypothetically, I'm not a doctor, 
I just pretend to be one on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> and Jade, we'll wrap it up with you today. What was the most difficult part to watch with these games to start off? Um, so like Parker said, I'm not worried about the bubble and I don't really care about any other sport. So that didn't <laughs> even <laughs> hit my radar. Um, for me, it was the turnovers, man. The turnovers that at those numbers hurts my heart. <laughs> like I oh, can't. And they were bad turnovers too. Yeah. It was like, you're passing in between three players and each one's pointing at the other being like, where were you? And it's like, no, everyone should be pointing at themselves and be like, where was I supposed to be? Yeah. And it's like, I get it. You've been off for four months, but that happens every single off season. So See, what gives? <laughs> CJ, this is why the Houston Rockets got a shot because our offense has just let the one guy ISO and you all just stand still anyway. <laughs> like we're good like that. <laughs> that's all we ever do. So we're okay. Okay. So we got that in. You didn't like the turnovers. I hated the turnovers. I think we've done a pretty solid job at hitting up everything. Unless you guys got any final sayings to have before we sign off today about the NBA season starting? Anything to say? Stay safe, guys. (laughs) Stay safe. Stay safe. Jade, do you have to say anything about your Raptors before I hang up? I wrote my article. I said it all. I'll be writing more. (laughs) Okay. Well. Great chat with you guys today. Excited for basketball. Can't wait to hear your guys' stuff from you more. As always, it's Hardcourt Honeys. Join having listeners today. Peace out. <laughs>